Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hey everybody, so we're here with Cameron and Katie Fetty today. We're really excited to talk with adventure sponsor number four. So we released nine adventure sponsors at the beginning of the year, and now we're on to our fourth set of adventure sponsors who are Cameron and Katie. And instead of telling you what they're going to be up to, we have them here right now. So we're going to have them tell you themselves. So Cameron and Katie, where are you all located? Yeah, we are in New Zealand right now. So we've been living in a van, you know, for the last six or seven months and just traveling around. So it's hard to say, like, we're, where are we from? Well, we're from New Zealand, living in a van. Uh, so, yeah, that's been, that's been really a great adventure in and of itself. But originally we were from Colorado. So we're just two Coloradoans who moved to New Zealand pretty recently. Um, but yeah. So slight tangent here, but... Colorado kind of seems like a hub for DIYing and specifically making your own gear. We talked to a lot of people that are from Colorado, just other adventure sponsors, makers, small businesses, cottage vendors, things like that. Uh, and then you all as well. Is there something in the water or like, what can you tell us about making your own gear in Colorado or just, you know, what it is about there that, that makes it so popular? Yeah, I think that's like totally great point that Colorado does seem to be a really amazing place for it we've kind of we got into it a little we weren't into it for long enough to really connect with any other people there but I think it's just all about doing your own thing you know and that's just I think a lot of people in Colorado like to do things their own way like to do it themselves which is kind of the make your own gear mentality of just if they want to do this thing then they'll figure out how to do it or how to do it their own way yeah. yeah. And I think a big part of, um, I mean, I can't really speak to other parts of the States, but, um, cause I've only grew up in Colorado, but I think for Colorado, especially there's so many different activities, outdoor activities that you can do, um, hiking, biking, and there's lakes. There's, I mean, there's just so many things that you can do. And so the variety of gear you can make for any one of those sports is huge. So I think, and then multiple people do multiple sports. So I think there's a lot of crossover. And so if they see something that um, maybe doesn't quite work for them, that's out there on the market, they say, Hey, maybe I can make it themselves. And that's kind of what happened to us too. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I was going to ask about the accessibility to the outdoors and things like that. I've, I've never been to Colorado, so I cannot say, but from what I've taken in and, and sort of experienced online, I guess you could say, um, through podcasts and, and videos and things like that is there's, it seems like a lot of people are doing a lot of really cool things, whether it's from like ski mountaineering, climbing, running, like you said, lake access, the 14ers, the 13ers, like the different mountain ranges you have. There are so many things happening. And I think people want, at least my assumption is that people want more specific gear to do cooler things. Cause especially out there, you know, an ultimate directions pack isn't unique. You see one of those every, you know, every switchback or something. Yeah. <laughs> they want cooler stuff to match their cooler adventures. Again, just kind of something that I think I've noticed a little bit. Yep. Yeah, I'd yeah, say I, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> definitely agree with that. So from Colorado to New Zealand, besides being an incredibly beautiful place, again, from what I can see, why did you choose to go to New Zealand or how did you end up there? Yeah, it's just kind of always been enchanting to me. I came here 
in 2001 with my parents when I was a, a wee lad. And, I, you know, I, I was just so small, but it was so cool at that time. And so my parents actually moved here a little while later. And so because of that, it actually made it a little easier for me to move here. Um, but, you know, we, I had that opportunity to move here and both of us have just always wanted something or wanted to see New Zealand in more depth because I visited my parents here a couple times, but like two weeks in New Zealand was the longest I'd ever really been here. And that's just wasn't long enough to see the country to see the sites, to do all the things that we wanted to do. It's so densely packed with cool things that you could spend months in one tiny, tiny town. We have spent months in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And for me, I, I've, I'm, like I said, I grew up in Colorado. I've always kind of wanted to live somewhere else. Um, New Zealand's always called to me. I went to Australia. I know it's not the same, but when I was eight or nine and I was always just super interested in the island next door, quote unquote. And so I've always wanted to come here. And then when we met, we had an opportunity to come visit um, the first year we were together. And like you said, two weeks is just not enough to see all that this country has to offer. And so when we had the opportunity to move here, we just decided to go for it. I mean, we'd been working on it for a couple of years, but finally got over here and super happy to be here. Yeah. And you all came over or went over within the past year or so. So a pretty challenging and, and weird time to be moving internationally, right? Oh yeah. yes, definitely. Yeah. We, um, three different sets of plane flights to try to get over here. <laughs> so that was an adventure in and of itself, but we got here. We've got credits for those flights that maybe we can use to <laughs> get home next year. Yeah. But yeah, we um, came in through like the managed isolation quarantine. So we were, we're in a hotel for the first two weeks. And then that the first night we were out, we picked up our van that we bought while we were in quarantine. And then we've been in our van pretty much ever since. So. It was good. You went, went from like, well, literally quarantine, you know, in inside four walls to one of the more freer forms of living just right off of each other there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is a little bit ironic, actually, because as the state started opening back up again, you know, as things kind of um, settled a little bit around COVID in the states, I felt like we put ourselves into the country that was very open in terms of like COVID restrictions and stuff at the time, because there was hardly anything. And then we decided to put ourselves in kind of like self-isolation by living in a van and not really <laughs> seeing many people. And cause then there's just, even as we go on our adventures, there's less people around and there's like the towns are, are quieter. And so, yeah, it's just been a different experience this time around, but yeah. So besides adventuring a lot what are you all doing in New Zealand or, or what's your time frame of staying down there or exploring um what does your time look like because you said you are planning on coming back to the states sometime later this year or next year well um we, we did move here kind of permanently so we we're hoping to settle in but while okay. we're we can travel years. With, yeah for a couple of years so gotcha years but not like decades sort of thing sure sure <laughs> Um, yeah, is, so coming back would be to to visit next year, just to visit family. Okay, okay, very very cool. All right, so let's start to touch on the adventure. Um, the adventure sponsorship normally revolves around 
one or multiple, and, and it could be several, but uh, a bigger adventure that someone wouldn't be able to take just kind of off the couch. It's something that people have to plan for and, and do a little bit more for. So I would like to hear about what it was that you all were planning to do. And I know there were multiple things because part of your adventure and something that appealed to us was the fact that you were going to New Zealand and <laughs> living out of a van. Mm-hmm. It's going to be kind of a full full time of adventure no matter what. Um, but yeah. there's one trip specifically that that you have done that looks really interesting that you wrote a blog on. So I want to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so our biggest thing is while we're here, we're trying to do all the great walks. So New Zealand has kind of 10 designated great walks, which are the, the, the ones that they've said that these are the best. So obviously that's being very touristy of us because you know they're the ones that everybody sees and says they want to go on these, but they're kind of the selected cream of the crop, as you might say. And so we've been working our way trying to do all of those in our time here. So yeah, so so far we've done five of them. Um, there are seven on the South Island. So far since we've been in New Zealand, we've just remained on the South Island, um, and. So the entire six months, we've seven months we've been here, we've just spent all of our time on the South Island. There's just so much to see and do. Um, but there's seven of the great walks on the South Island. And so far we've done five of them, which is pretty cool. Um, so each one of them is between three and four days and um, two and three nights. And the coolest part um, that I've, in my opinion, um, about these these walks that we're doing is New Zealand has uh, huts all over the country. And so they vary in what they have to offer. Um, but these um, huts that are on these great walks all have like pretty good amenities. So it just, it makes it a little bit easier um, for people to get into hiking. Um, they call that tramping here. So hikes are tramps. Um, but you know, getting into hiking here, um, is a little bit easier for people to do if they don't normally do it, which is why these great walks are, are awesome for that. Um, it was just a place that we could start, but we also want to start adventuring into some of the other off, um, kind of off the beaten path huts that they have throughout the mountains as well. Um, but yeah, so I think, I don't know if I could pick any one of those, but we've. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, I guess we can start with the Kepler because we have yeah. written that blog post about it is it's something that I had done before, but Katie hadn't done it. And so it was really an exciting time to bring her into this perfect, like this great experience that I'd had before. And so it was really, that one was really fun. It's this track that goes uh, four days, kind of, it takes you through all of the different biomes of New Zealand. Well, I guess other than the coastal one, but kind of starts you by this lake in the beach forest and then it brings you up to the Alpine. You've got basically a whole day of just in the Alpine, sometimes like above the clouds sort of tramping, but then it brings you back down into this lush forest with all this bird life. And we saw Kiwis at night when we went out, which is really kind of a rare experience. So that was super special. Glowworms, just all these very New Zealand-esque things all concentrated into this one walk. So that was really fun. A really great way to get into it because that was within the first I think three weeks of being in the country that we did that one so then that was just a great introduction for us to be like here is New Zealand tramping this is why we're here this is why we're here so that was that was super special yeah and for me it was super special because it was the longest backpacking trip I had ever done even though it was only four days three nights but it was the longest I had done at that point and so it was 
just a, a good challenge for me and see if I could do it and how I would do and if I would like it. He was hoping that I would and I loved it. So yeah, that was I'm sure first. I'm sure your first night you were like, man, I really hope this is going to be enjoyable because we're signed up for like 30 to 40 days of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really kind of insane because the on the Kepler track, the first hut is one of the larger huts in the country. It's I think it accommodates about 50 people max. More and so it was just kind of overwhelming because, you know, we'd been in the States, you know, going back to COVID, we'd kind of been isolating ourselves and just being small a little bubble and then we were in this quarantine hotel where it was just the two of us together for two weeks and then we were in the van just two of us together and then suddenly we're dumped into this 50 people hut with everybody you know boisterous and laughing and we hadn't <laughs> had that sort of social experience and like at all in the last year and so it was very overwhelming to just like dump us into this <laughs> yeah and for me I hadn't actually had a HUD experience yet so Cameron had done a couple of these great walks years previous and I hadn't done any so I was feeling very overwhelmed being in this big hut 50 60 people all at once and they were all Kiwis um the New Zealand term for New, Zealand. New Zealanders <laughs> Kiwis sorry um so there was just super overwhelming we hadn't like he said we hadn't been around that many people since probably our wedding, which was a year previous. So it was, it was a lot to take in all at once. <laughs> I just kind of sat in the corner and just absorbed <laughs> it all. Yeah, no, that is so dramatic. I mean, we were talking about your, the dramatic switch from quarantine to van. And then to, on top of that quarantine to van into, you know, communal living with 50 people is, yeah. is incredible. That hut looks absolutely marvelous though. So I'm, I'm curious just for people living stateside, what were your experiences with huts in New Zealand? How did they compare to other huts like Appalachian Mountain Club or out west? I and mean, there's a, there's all there's huts all over the place. Like, have you have you been able to be in any huts in the states and kind of compare those experiences at all? Difficult to get into in the states is what I found. That it's yeah. it's really pretty hard. Oh, okay, Colorado. I should say Colorado. The ones that I've tried to look into about like just having a weekend in a hut with some friends or you know trying to do some backcountry ski touring into a hut they're all very they're generally booked way far in advance which mm -hmm. is kind of the same case with the great walks in new zealand but there are so many lesser known smaller huts in new zealand that you can just walk in and you know for a weekend or a friday saturday night you just stay in the hut they're so accessible and so i think that's one of the great things about the new zealand hut system is that if you if you're looking like you can look into it and find one that you'll be able to go to that is super accessible that they're not too far away and anywhere wherever you live there there's one that's within you know an hour drive and then maybe two hour walk and you can be in a hut for a night just after work if you want to or that sort of thing so i think they're they're very accessible and that's the thing that i'm most impressed with yeah, for me, yeah. specifically with the the um, DOC huts that are on these great department of conservation. Yeah. Um, on that are on these great walks um, are the, the amenities they have to offer. I, I, like Cameron said, we can't really speak to the ones that are um, stateside, but we, they have, most of them have um, burners that you 
can use for cooking. Um, Like a lot of them have just running water, um, rain, rain runoff water. Um, Some even have flush toilets, which is pretty, pretty luxe. Um, And then otherwise they all, they all have like a pit toilet of some kind. And um, yeah, so they're just, and then they all have um, big like mattresses basically that are on the bunks. So it just allows you to bring less stuff um, and still have like a really similar, you know, hiking experience without having to carry all that with you, but they also do have campsites nearby. So, um, if that fills up or if you prefer to do that, it's a little bit cheaper and then you can bring your own stuff. So they have a lot of different options. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't have a, an overwhelming experience uh, or number of experiences with Hudson America, but it, it is similar. At least what I'm feeling with is, is more the New Hampshire side. And, and similar to what you said, they, they book often months or even a, a year into advance. So it can be really hard. You can't just walk into it. Um, and that seems really interesting though, that you're able to find, or there are enough huts that there are less popular ones. I feel like oftentimes huts in America are normally popular ones. That's kind of it. Like there aren't lesser known or just, you know, they're not spread across everywhere. They're really only in places that will fill up, I guess. So it's kind of cool. They have those options more readily available. Yeah. So, uh, there's 10 great walks. You have mentioned this, uh, the one that we're talking about specifically the Kepler track, just for the sake of, of naming, and we'll put it, put these in the show notes. Do you remember some of these other ones or what they're called? Yeah. Um, there is the, Milford track, which we did after the Kepler track. And then the next one we did is the Rakira track. Uh, there's, we did the three day version. There's longer ones. It is on Stewart Island. And then um, the milk, sorry, back to the Milford track. It starts in um, Tiano and it goes up and around and it ends in Milford sound, which is pretty cool. Um, let's see. And then there's the root burn track, which starts in, Queenstown. And then let's see, then we did, oh, and then we came up to um, Tasman area and we did the Able Tasman and Able Tasman Coast Track, which is kind of a beach walk ish. So it's got all kinds of beaches and all kinds of, you know, totally different than the mountains that we were doing on the south side of the South Island. And so it was a really cool change from those kind of mountainous ones to go to this beach walking, almost tropical one. Mm, yeah. Um, oh yeah, we did the root burn track. It's another one yeah. on the kind of the south side and fjord. Did you? Yep. Oh, sorry. And then <laughs> there's the Hefe track. Um, that's on that's up up on the north part of the South Island. And then there's also the Paparoa track. That's the newest one. The newest one, yeah. And those two we were planning on doing, but we actually got um, pushed into level four lockdown a couple weeks ago. So fortunately, we haven't made it to those yet. Um, and I think that's it for the South Island. And then on the North Island, there is the... Yeah, there's the Whanganui River Journey, which is, even though it's called a Great Walk, it's actually a river. And so it's kind of a uh, float down that you can do. So over four to seven days, depending on how quickly you want to do it. It's uh, it's like a you float down for a bit, camp there, float a little more. So it's kind of a, a unique one that... It's a little different than the others, but we're excited to do that one when we get to the North Island. And then there's the Tongariro Northern Circuit. So that's kind of a big circuit around a big mountain on the North Island, even though a lot of people see the South Island as the mountainous island. North Island has quite a few big mountains that I it kind of surprise you that they're like, whoa, there's a ski area on that mountain? Ski field, sorry, that's what they call it. 
Uh, and then there's the, I've, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation on this one. Uh, Waikere Moana Trek, which I think goes around a lake, big That's lake up there. Right, yeah. So yeah, we're getting around to the North Island eventually, but that, those are kind of the, the great walks that we're going to try to make our way to, because then it also gets us to that part of the country. If we say we want to do this great walk, it'll kind of force us to make our way up there and figure out how to get there. And see the cool things along the way. Yeah. Wow. Those are, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about the like geography of New Zealand, but I know it's not a big place, you know, compared to, at least to America and some of the other countries that we are used to. Um, but that's a lot of, I mean, if we think of the great trails or the larger trails in the, in, in America, I don't know if there are, there's probably about 10 that you could name, you know, once you get past the AT, CDT, some of those other things, there's definitely 10, but especially in a place that small and not to mention the, the biodiversity that you've mentioned from like high Alpine to rivers and kind of like prairies to beaches and stuff like that. These sound incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, a lot of them are so different from each other that it's really, it's really neat that it's not all like, you know, here's the New Zealand hiking over here and then New Zealand hiking over here. New Zealand, you know, it's also different. It's coastal hiking, tramping, sorry, coastal tramping and then mountain tramping and then a river and then you can bike some of these. So it's just, you know, just very diverse. And yeah. And so I think that's what we're most excited about because we've done numerous 14ers back in Colorado, but this is just so different. Yeah. Wow, this you are inspiring me greatly to go check out New Zealand more, and, and I hope that's the same for other people. So now I want to transition, and we'll talk more about your adventures just because I'm sure these stories will arise as we talk about it, but I want to shift from the adventure now to what you made. Um, tell us what you have made for these adventures or for your van or, or whatever it is that you did um, with the materials that we were able to help supply you guys with. Yeah, so um, let's see, the... First thing we made was a backpack, backpacking backpack that I have actually taken on all of these great walks so far. Um, and let's see, we used VX7 as like the, the body and then we used some like 3D spacer mesh. Oh, and I used recycled yoga pants for the stretch pockets on the sides. So it add a little color and some trail flare. So that was fun to personalize it a lot for me. Um, and yeah, so we took, we made the backpack and it's, it's been amazing. Um, best, best piece of gear that I've ever owned and we got to make it. So that was pretty cool. Definitely teamwork on that one. Um, and then let's see what else. So since then we've made, um, a couple fast packs similarly using VX7. And so the idea is we could do just a shorter, uh, shorter hike run rather. So trail run in with all the things that we need and then camp overnight trail run out. Uh, so we actually got to use that on the second segment of the Heath or the, excuse me, the Abel Tasman track. The first track we took our big backpacks because it was four days, three nights. And then we went back to our van, drove around up to the next point, And then we took our fast packs and we did a little bit of not so much trail running, just based on the course or picture taking or whatever that slowed us down. But we had our lighter packs and it was fun. We could go further and faster. And then um, we got to use those and they all... Yeah, it was super fun. Again, trail flare. We like to customize things. Like my favorite color is purple. Cameron's is orange. So we always try to find things that kind of go with our favorite colors to add some trail flare for customization. Um, yeah, 
I think Katie's backpack has been the big one that has really been, it's gone all the great walks with us and that's been really itself, yeah. <laughs> worth very well, but the fast packs have been so much fun to, uh, to make and to actually now use because we finished mine a few months ago. And so I used it for a couple day, like, hikes. day hikes here and there and it worked really well for a couple of runs we did, but then, you know, I didn't, want to use it by myself because we live in a van so I didn't want to abandon Katie oh, gosh. so we made her one and so now we both got fast packs so we can kind of both go on these adventures together so that was really fun yeah from a making perspective I find fast packs to be so enjoyable as well just because the size is a little easier to work with and, and I would imagine this is especially true for you in in a van or even in a hotel room um, making a full backpack there's you know, it's not a tent, it's not a shelter, it's not four or five or, you know, eight yards of fabric, but you're still having a lot of stuff going on, you know, all the components. So a fast pack is, is so fun and um, they're a great size to work with the shoulder straps and everything. I find those really, really fun to make. So I want to dive into the backpack first, just because that was the first one we talked about um, and dive into the, what you added on the features, the layout, how you came up with the construction and, and things like that. So just to recall, you said uh, X-Pack VX07 for the main body of the pack and then obviously some spacer spacer mesh for the straps um what did you do for the pockets i see those pockets are printed on the side is that right is that is that part of the the yoga pant uh material yes yeah so the the colorful parts are all my my yoga pants um handed down for me from my to from me to me excuse me from my <laughs> sister-in-law so i they just didn't fit me quite right. And I really love the pattern. And so decided to incorporate them as stretch pockets on the sides and on the front of my shoulder, shoulder straps. So um, on one side, I've got one that kind of opens, you can open and close with one hand. It's um, Cameron designed it with his engineer brain. He's got all these awesome ideas. And so I can open and close it with like a cinch. So it stays closed, but one-handed. And then on the other side, I've got one that kind of overlaps. So I can put like my little tiny flashlight and some chapstick in there and it won't fall out um, all out of the little stretch yoga pants material. Um, so we had a lot of fun designing that, but it's also, I think we find that the shoulder, shoulder straps can be one of our most challenging parts of backpacks we've discovered of just because of what we decide to add onto it or customize it or, the binding foot or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I think it was so brilliant that you recycled the yoga pant material because I mean, that's very similar to what we would call or roughly equivalent to um, like our flow mesh, you know, that like very stretchy, very active fabric. Um, but that's so smart because that stuff is, you know, it's also going to have some durability. It's going to stretch well, it's going to get wet. Well, you know, like it's, it's all, it's all those features that you'd want. And the trail flare is, it's got to happen, you know, there's got to, there's got to be your style on that. So I love that. It's a great use. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been so fun. And we've actually, since we've been in the country, we'll go to op shops, which are like thrift, thrift stores. Um, and we will go in there for something else, um, maybe like a new sweater or something. And then, but we'll look at the yoga pants to see what other things might inspire us for like future packs or things. And so we just picked up a pair of my first pair that I've ever owned of Lululemon leggings, but they're too small for me, but it's like a nice galaxy pattern. So I'm excited to use that in something soon, but for the same, same reason of just being able to kind of customize it. And like you said, it's good durability, quick dry, all the things, and then flexible. So. Yeah. Just, you know, reusing things is always very 
very good, very important to kind of try to use things when it's up so that we don't create more trash, and especially in the van because we've got no space. No space. <laughs> you know, it's good to reuse or recycle when we can. No doubt. So how'd you come up with the design style for your pack? Some could say that it's a fairly orthodox kind of ultralight style with a big external pocket, two big water bottle pockets. Um, it looks like a roll top with kind of a single latch closure over the top. It's kind of a tried and true method, but then you also added some cool features like um, I'm looking at one of the pictures here where it looks like you have a uh, a, like a, a lacing or a shot cord system on the outside of that stretch mesh pocket. And then even like there's some storage on the bottom of the pack. It looks like perhaps an umbrella or something like that. Tell me about those features. Yeah. So the bottom shops, we actually, so the reason we kind of decided um, to start making a, a backpack is we, um, we have a couple others or we've used some in the past, other backpacks. And they just didn't, none of them really had exactly what we wanted. So I think that's kind of what kind of pushed us in this direction, um, like straps on the bottom for our pack rafts that we made. So things like that, that we could store on the bottom, carry with us. Um, so there's straps for, um, that are long enough to go around a pack raft on the bottom of the backpack, but also can be cinched down far enough to put like our sandals um, on the bottom for when we go to these huts, it's nice to have like an extra pair of shoes or walking through rivers or whatever. So we strap those to the bottom or what's likely on there is probably our collapsible hiking poles, trekking mm -hmm. poles. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of different variable, um, options that you can put on the bottom there and on the sides. Yeah. Just basic water bottle size, big water bottle pockets. I don't think I ever put a water bottle in there. Um, they're mostly my snack pockets because inside I also built in a bladder pocket. So I have the bladder and then a pass-through um, that went through the collar part of the backpack that passed through and then went down the shoulder strap. And I have like a little stretch um, ribbon there that I can pass the, the tube through. So it's nice and handy um, while hiking. So yeah, uh, let's see. I think that's, those are the main things. Oh, we did um, kind of like an internal sort of a frame. We did some stay channels and some aluminum stays in there as the frame. Um, so we added that in there as well. Um, One thing that we thought was fun was the hip belt. I don't know if you could see it in any of the pictures that I uploaded, but the hip belt material that we chose was basically just two inch seat belt, belt webbing. And so we just thought that was fun. You know, like it's pretty rigid and it's nice and solid. So it's works really well. And especially for the, uh, the, the weight, because we're trying to go as light as we can, that two inches is plenty of space for uh, distributing the force. So we yeah. just thought that the two inch seat belt webbing was kind of a fun addition to a backpack. Yeah. And I found with just one layer of some 3D spacer mesh uh, on the seat belt webbing was just enough padding for me, um, for my, my hips, for that waist, that hip belt um, for all of the hikes that we've done. So pretty minimal and yeah. And then we added a, a pocket, but yeah. And we did, we did add a, uh, a bottom pocket, you know, on oh, the, yeah, bottom of the bag. stretch pocket, stretch pocket on the bottom of the bag. That's kind of a Trash hip, pocket. <laughs> hip addition hip thing to do nowadays. And so, yeah. For, trail, for picking up trail trash, you can just pick it up and stick it in the bottom pocket. Yeah, That's kind of what we use it for. 
No, it's so true. That is, that's a great way to put it. Everybody, everybody wants to, the, I call it the reach around pocket. I have no idea if that's accurate or what other people call it, but that always feels what it is. And I totally agree. I try to put that on my packs as well, <laughs> but that is uh, super smart with a two inch uh, seatbelt webbing. Cause I mean, yeah, you're totally right. The weight distribution is, is, is optimal for that. And I can now see that picture where you, you wrap that space mess around. And that's so smart. Cause I saw that kind of that light blue or, or teal um, color on the on the webbing. And I didn't know that was the two inch, um, the seatbelt webbing. So that's super smart. And it also looks like, um, is that hip belt removable or is that patch on the back there? Does that serve a different purpose? The patch on the back is just some extra padding um, oh, just oh, on the lower back. Yeah, yeah. just to kind of help support where the bars come in and stuff. So Absolutely. don't feel it, but it's just a little extra padding. And so this, the hip belt on this pack is not removable. We did make a removable one on our fast pack. Mm -hmm. So different, a little bit different design, but. I love that. That's brilliant. I also really liked how you incorporated the, the pockets on the J strap. Often I feel like those, those straps or that style of strap often has space for pockets, but a lot of people don't, don't normally or automatically include them on a pocket with a J strap. It's only like that vest style where people will really start to layer on the pockets. So just a few things like that goes a really long way for, like you said, those little, little items like flashlights or chapstick or snack or trash or phone or whatever you need just for a moment just a little bit of storage was really long way on shoulder straps. I think. Yeah, definitely. I, I love having them and I'm that again, that was just one other thing that we, like you said, we just were, we weren't finding on some other backpacks that we we've had or used in the past. And that was a really great addition that we decided to do. So. Yeah. So I see your pack here, Cameron. Um, just, I know it's not one of ours, but that's totally cool. And a lot of people will use this. We have coworkers that, that use your pack specifically. Tell us about yours and, and what you like about it. Um, so are you looking at the, uh, like the fast pack or the HMG? Is that what you're talking about? I'm looking at your hyperlight. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one, that was kind of my first foray into real ultralight backpacking, you know, I, as I'm sure many, many other people's are as well, but it's just, it's pretty bomber. You know, you, can, you can't really go wrong with it. Although the one thing that we found that we don't like is the Velcro at the top. Um, that just, so, you know, at the top of the roll top, it's got the Velcro enclosure. And so that's whenever we're kind of reaching in and getting stuff out of the bag, that kind of always seems to grab onto whatever shirt I'm wearing or the Alpha Direct hoodie I'm wearing and that sort of thing. And so that was the one thing that we were like, okay, well, this is a really great backpack, but it's not quite perfect. So that's one thing that we use for Katie's backpack and for um, the fast packs, we use cam snaps up at the top. So that's kind of our way of getting around the, you know, still keep it close at the top while you're rolling it up, but then still really light and still pretty um, easy to use. So anyway, the, the Velcro at the top is like the one bad thing I found about it, but there's so many other good things to say about the Hyperlight Mountain Gear backpack. And it's, very inspiring to look at it and say like, Oh, they did this. That's so cool. And so, you know, at the risk of like copying them, we've, we've looked at it and been like, Oh, that's a really cool feature. That's a really cool thing. And so then also been good inspiration for us to uh, draw from. Absolutely. It's one of the things that I really respect about what they've done is because a, a couple of our sponsors now um, or the adventure sponsors have mimicked details and style or, or design features of hyperlight gear. Um, and it, it's cool because I, I feel like oftentimes when bigger companies 
like Hyperlighter companies that you might see even in REI, they don't keep things as simple. They're still really great gear, but they're not like simple, just kind of like very effortless design style. And Hyperlight, I feel like they've maintained a really, really uh, like low key design style and keeping things very bare minimum, um, which I think is really yeah. fascinating. And I mean, I think, like I said, I think you're the third adventure sponsor we've had that have made it, made a pack, but then designed their pack kind of after some of the features that they've experienced, they really, really liked about their hyperlights, um, which is really cool. And, but that's fascinating. You mentioned about the Velcro. One thing that Carter, who's our, our senior product manager and I will do in our free time, we'll go to REI if we need something, just look at the packs because it's fun. And we saw one yesterday that had, um, it was an ultimate direction fast pack and we really, really liked it and it had the Velcro. And we were both kind of like, this isn't something that we've ever done before. I wonder what the plus or minus to this would be. You know, it keeps it really rolled up, but it's funny you mentioned that because that's something that we were thinking about yesterday. It makes a lot of sense, you know, especially snagging, you know, capoline or fleece or something like that, that might be, uh, might catch really easily. Yeah. Yeah. And then one thing that we have found is when he would have, when I had my backpack, he'd have his um, hyperlight mountain gear in these huts. And if we wanted to get up before anybody or come to bed after anybody, that Velcro trying to get that <laughs> open in the combined bunk rooms was just terrible. <laughs> you know, like everybody's asleep and I was, I was doing some astrophotography or whatnot and try to sneak in as quietly as possible and then just like <sighs> opening this and of course dcf <laughs> is loud as well so yeah. it's just this loud bag with loud velcro and so <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> it's the it's the hut rooster that's what your that's what the velcro was for yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah I mean, while you mentioned it, yeah, your photography is absolutely phenomenal, Cameron. These pictures are stunning. We'll make sure to link this blog specifically and, and any other pictures that um, that you all uh, send to us for people to see. These are, are absolutely stunning. You did an amazing job capturing the adventure. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's been one great thing about New Zealand is that, you know, wherever you point the camera, it's hard to get a bad picture. Give yourself more credit than that. <laughs> he takes thousands of photos and then obviously picks the best ones, but... Yeah. So tell me about your fast packs. What did you do with those? Did you do like a full vest style strap system? Did you have an external pocket or, what, or how'd you, how'd you make those? Yeah. So the fast pack, that was kind of fun because it was the first design that I, you know, just fully made by myself for Katie's backpack. We, we originally made the uh, bag buff mountain flyer, which, you know, Stephen Jones does an amazing thing with that. And then, but originally made one of those. And then for Katie's backpack, we, you know, heavily modified it in a few ways, but the fast packs were kind of the first design that I was just like, well, how about this for this panel? So like, I kind of, I fully came up with the pattern in my head. And so that's very exciting for me to just come from a pattern in your head to put it on the computer and then make it, you know, put it all together. So, so back home we'd made, he had made um, version one that yeah. Tried out for a while. He did a couple traverse runs with it and then found some things that he wanted to improve upon. And so then that was what we did with these. We call version two V2 um, of our fast packs we got to make in the van, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that was <laughs> making, making things in the van, you know, with the sewing machine in the van, making room. It's yeah, well, when we were actually working on the fast packs, we realized that the sewing machine we originally bought, so a little fun backstory here, when we got out of quarantine, on our way to pick up the van, we, well, we got a rental car, and then the first stop was buy a sewing machine, <laughs> and, then, and then we went and got our van, 
And then a couple months later, we were working on, we had sewed some curtains for the van, did some other stuff. And then we were working on the fast pack and there was just with the webbing and this and that, it was just too much to go through with our lightweight sewing machine. So we went and drove, took a, like a four hour detour, drove all the way up to Christchurch and got us a better sewing machine. So yeah, so I'm yeah, back there. Now we've been able to do a lot more. <laughs> we've had more stuff. Um, but yeah, the fast pack. So like, I think I haven't like measured it or anything like that, but I think based on my knowledge of other packs, I'd say it's probably around 20 liters, something like that. So big enough that you can really have it packed full and have enough for multi-day if you want. But then we've also got kind of designed in a system so that you can kind of cinch uh, these cords closed and kind of bring in the volume of it so that you can use it for more of a one, like a just an afternoon run or like a single day adventure sort of thing. Uh, so that's been one thing I've used it for a couple runs, but, but yeah, the, the, the vest style. Vest so we style, use the, really nice. the, the strap, the, the straps, I guess you could call them the vest out of, um, hex mesh. Yeah. Hex spacer mesh that we didn't, um, we got that from Somewhere China, else. Yeah. But whatever, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this nice breathable, uh, hex mesh that I think a lot of people are finding out about nowadays. And, and the body itself was VX. VX7. Um, and then talk about your like under the oh yeah the arms. under the under the arm system kind of lacing system the v1 fast pack i had trouble with um being able to adjust it for like being really full versus being fairly empty it was i felt like the underarm um being how do i describe it sorry so originally i had the whole arm vest enclosure being one piece that goes all the way from the backpack above the shoulder down the chest mm -hmm. and then under the armpit all one piece and like attached but I found that that didn't quite work as well when I was trying to go between packing it full and then having it really empty for smaller adventures because I couldn't uh tighten the chest enough it was tightened all the way on the chest then it was too loose and if it was all the way full anyway so um what I did for under the armpits was I just kind of did like uh with the um, triangular B rings or triangular rings that you guys have using those with uh, three millimeter shock cord just to go between. And then that way you can kind of tighten or loosen the shock cord to keep that underarm to expand or contract yeah. that underarm so system. So got like four or five triangles on the vest and four or five triangles on like the backside of the backpack. And then it kind of laces between those yeah, on each side. Through. And then it can kind of adjust with like a, a line lock. Or, yeah, line lock. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of a fun, you know, it's all an iterative process of being like, okay, version one, this didn't quite work for me. So what do I change in version two? So that was one of the bigger changes. Obviously also changing materials. Version one was like cheap Joanne rips up fabric that I was like, <laughs> I just want to try something. try something out. But then this one was VX7 and we did actually get some uh, DCF 2.92 with from you guys and as a part of this adventure sponsorship and so we're currently working version three, on three working on version three so that's been that's been a really exciting project that we've been working on i love that 
Yeah. And, and, and it looks fantastic too. I mean, those it'll hit on this again, we'll, we'll share these photos. So you'll be able to see the fast pack, everybody listening, but it looks fantastic. And, um, that system you're explaining kind of on the, on the ribs there on the inside is brilliant. I've, I've done that similarly and I really like it so far. I kind of did it. I may be similar in a similar brain space that you were in where I was kind of like, Oh shoot, I don't want to connect these isn't going to fit. How do I adjust it? Um, but I find it so helpful for jackets and stuff too, you know, to go from like a t-shirt where I'm going to cinch that down really tight to wearing like a, like my R1 or something like that, where I'm going to have a little bit more bulk or a down jacket, even it fits pretty much all of them. Um, so I thought that was, that was brilliant, but I like how you used the line lock. Cause I just used a standard cord lock and kind of pulled it from the middle, but I like having that line lock be tethered. That was really, that was really wise. And it looks like you also added an external like stretch mesh pocket on the outside of the fast pack as well. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of thing, a lot of like fast packs like that don't necessarily have pockets on the outside. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that I don't like. I mean, okay. That's what I don't like that. They don't have them because yeah. I, I enjoy having that pack on the outside, especially for like rain gear, mostly stuff that you don't want to open your bag. If it starts raining, you don't want to open up your waterproof bag and possibly get things in there wet. So I think having those pockets on the outside is something that I really like. So if you're making your own bag, like might as well yeah, add those features work. that you like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head and that I've, I've copied some other fast packs when I was making mine and I didn't add that external pocket and it's still a pack that I love and I'll work around it, but that's, it's, I totally agree that I wish I had thrown at least something out there for the rain jacket or an extra bottle or flat, you know, soft flask or something like that. Yeah, definitely makes it handy. Um, something that we tried on these fast packs where we put in um, an upside down loop, kind of looks like an ice axe loop on the side panels. And we for um, specifically kind of designed for an upside down platypus. So it kind of like cradle the neck in there. And then we had a um, cord design that kind of zigzagged up the side and it would hold that in place. So you could attach like a hose and have that come to the front and drink from that. Or it would just be a way to securely carry your one liter extra water flasks on the side. Yeah. So that was a kind of cool, fun design that we were trying out on version two. Okay. I see that now. So that, um, so I'm looking at a picture of Cameron walking through, he's got his back to us right now and I can see that blood on the side. So that is held in just by that shot cord there. And there's not a pocket. Is that right? There's not a pocket, but the, at the bottom, kind of the mouth of the, this platypus, there's a little seven inch loop of uh, 10 millimeter webbing that kind of goes around the mouth. That's just attached to the face fabric. And so that was a, you know, an experiment that we we're seeing if it would work out and it worked out pretty well, but I, I don't know if we would repeat that. Yeah. You couldn't run very hard or very fast with it, but yeah. for hiking, it worked great. Yeah. 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 No, that makes a ton of sense. I love that hearing your kind of your stories of troubles in the past and how you decided to troubleshoot them is so interesting and, and, and really just fascinating to think about. Cause these are things I've also given a lot of thought to, but I just decided to go about them different ways. So I love hearing what you had to say there. So these packs, say it again, they look awesome. I mean, these look fantastic. What was your sewing experience like before you got to New Zealand and before you decided to embark on these kind of wild making adventures of uh, a backpack and two fast packs that you were going to be using a ton? Yeah. um, For me, I mean, we we both grew up in scouts, so we were um, kind of quote unquote required to sew on our badges or patches. Um, So we did that. Um, sometimes by hand, sometimes by machine. And then I did a little bit um, more probably for one of those patches, like a sewing patch. I did um, like I made my own poodle skirt. I made some pajamas, nothing too crazy. Um, Definitely use patterns for all of that. And then 
um, I'd say Cameron's experience was probably, I don't want yeah, to speak for you, but like the, yeah, merit badges onto the sash or whatnot, but then yeah, really not a whole lot of experience before we decided to get into MYOG. And then when we did, it was actually the first thing we made together was a pyramid tent. So we just jumped in with both feet. Um, but I was like, went to my mom and was like, hey, you think you can uh, show me how to use the sewing machine? I'm going to make a tent. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so just kind of like deciding to go for it. And then I just looked up a couple tutorials on YouTube and that was enough. And then experience, you know, of course, didn't first time we did it like we messed this up and then the first backpack we made forgot to put the presser foot down and you know like all these little mistakes that you learn along the way and so you kind of like get frustrated in the moment because you're like oh why did I do that or like this is so you have to be so detail oriented you have to do each of these individual things but then you kind of learn along the way and that's really fun part of the process so yeah our experience is mostly since doing (laughs) my ag but um yeah I think We've learned a lot. <laughs> um, so there's two things I noticed. One, I actually forgot to mention, or I wanted to ask you about your trekking pole design, Cameron, on your fast pack, and it might've been the same with yours uh, or on Katie's, but for people listening that haven't seen the photos yet, it looks like Cameron made a system for the trekking poles to sit kind of on his, in the sternum area under flasks, but on that vest part. Tell us how you made that part. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely something that I was thinking long and hard about because I wanted the you know, these uh, Z poles, black diamond Z poles, super nice, super light, compact, but I wanted them to be accessible pretty easily if you're going, you know, going along and then suddenly there's a hill. So I like using the trekking poles on the hill. And so I really wanted to be them to be accessible. So I figured that on the front would be a really good place to have them. And so I considered all the different options. And eventually for me, um, I decided that they're across the sternum, across like the diaphragm area, you know, that was worked really well because then it was out of the way, like you said, out of the way of the flask pockets. Um, I have a couple zipper pockets under there that I just put like keys in or, you know, cards if I need to. Um, but yeah, the, I figured that just there underneath was kind of a nice way to keep it out of the way of um, my arms, especially, mm-hmm. and then being able to keep them still in arm's reach but yeah so the way he attached them was using just a three millimeter um shot cord and a line lock buckle yeah line lock buckle kind yeah of cool so kind of like come you know it's like sewn in or tied in on one end on the bottom and then it kind of comes up and around and you can clip it kind of to the top end and then you can tighten it still as well so that was pretty pretty neat very clever for sure um and then i got to try that out and it just didn't quite work for me um that style um, where that, lo- that location and it just kept, um, rubbing, I've got a little bit narrower, um, torso. And so I just kept rubbing my elbows. Like when I was running, they, the poles kept, kept chafing, chafing on my elbows and it just wasn't very comfortable. My ribs, um, I just felt a little bit more constricted. And so we were trying to figure out, it took us a very long time actually to figure out a way to strap them along the sides. Um, I've got a, yeah, I've got a Solomon like skin, running vest that I typically use on my longer runs, but for this, and it has the side trekking pole attachment. So we were trying to do something like that, um, a similar way. So what we came up with was we have a- Kind of a loop at the top. And this is, sorry, this is on the side front of the uh, vest style. So on the outer edge of 
the vest. We've got a loop with just a regular cord, um, like one and a half millimeter cord maybe. And we can just kind of tighten them in like, so slide mm-hmm. the top mm-hmm. of the poles in and then tighten it down. And then you kind of got to hold it because it's going to kind of want to go out. You got to hold it down. And then a similar buckle, I think the same sort of buckle strap with the stretch cord on the bottom, but instead of kind of being a vertical um, oh. loop, it's it's um horizontal so you kind of go around and then clip it and then pull it tight i see yeah so this is running i think i'm with you but so this is running from about like a water bottle placement down kind of along your rib cage that way or is it staying almost parallel with you kind of like from top of your shoulder down to the rib cage um so yeah kind of like right outside of where a water bottle would be yeah so like on the outside of like the water flasks and then so from the shoulder and then kind of just, yeah, down to like the rib cage. So kind of parallel with my torso. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. There aren't, I don't think there are a lot of designs that, that test that feature out, but it makes a lot of sense just kind of based on like torso shape and stuff. And in general, you know, especially if your elbows touching or the poles in the kind of perpendicular that way. So I really like that. That, was, that seems really wise and kind of outside the perspective of what a lot of fast packs do. Yeah. I, I really liked it. Um, I don't know if, that's how like that. I don't know if it's just me, but as female, I'm not a very large chested woman, but I feel like for some others who might be, that also might be more comfortable solution. Um, just so they're not like right underneath. <laughs> so just an, an option that we were kind of thinking of. But. Yeah. That's another great part about MYOG. If you're willing to take the kind of that, that journey, it's something that Avery and I've talked about in some other episodes where people are able to get a much better fit for their, their, whoever they are. Cause a lot of the packs, I mean, big box packs are made at a high quality level for sure, but they're often made for a median user and that, you know, nobody is the perfect median user. So, but then also specifically for women's gear, there's not a lot of great gear that fits women specifically very well. Um, it's almost always made for guys. And we actually have another adventure sponsor that stepped out on a similar journey to make a pack that actually fits her. She's like, this is like woman compliant. It's meant to fit me and the sternum strap and the chest strap actually work. Um, so it's really cool. You mentioned that and you're able to find a really good solution to have your trekking poles actually work out really well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm very happy with it. What other features did you run on your fast pack? I'm sure it looks a little bit different from Cameron's Are there other ones that you added on there that were separate from his. Yeah. So on Cameron's um, he's actually got a camera strap and i don't even know how you call it like an enclosure it's it's just a little loop on one of the sides where you can put a little uh mirrorless camera that sits quite nicely on it but yeah so instead of that um i have i just have two um mesh flask pockets and then in the front of that i put more of this yoga pant stretch material um, as a, another pocket outside of that. So I can put snacks and phone actually, um, fits into one of them and some snacks on the other side. So I just have both sides are the same on mine. I just have two flasks and then in front of that, some snacks and or phone pocket, yeah, I'm jealous. Well, which is super nice. Um, <laughs> anytime we were going on our adventure and I'm like, Oh, stop for a snack. Yes. Don't mind if I do right here. <laughs> Bill's full of storage space she gets up front. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta have the snacks handy, Cameron. Come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. So I'm also seeing your tent here. Did you make this DCF tent or was this one that you brought with you? 
We, well, we made it and we brought it. Yeah. Um, so that was the first Mayog thing that we actually ever got into. Yeah. And we were just like, man, the Hyperlay Mountain Gear Ultimate 4 looks great, but it's so expensive. Let's How can we do it cheaper? Make it ourselves. <laughs> and so we designed it a little bit different. Um, we did the full, like, each quarter panel. What would you call that? Yeah, it, the design is a little bit different. I, I did come up with the design myself. It's easy enough because it's just the triangles so that one pyramid tents design are actually a lot simpler than a lot like so we were tents just, or whatever we we're only limited in the size based on the size Which of the fabric, the fabric but, we had but yeah we still got that and we're planning on using that using it coming up so. that looks phenomenal i mean we've seen a lot of um myog shelters and and this looks i, I mean i kind of skipped over it, i'm not gonna lie and I, and I feel bad for skipping over it for the for last you know 45 minutes because i thought it was um the hyperlight mountain gear shelter or you know the z pack so there's a couple other dcf shelters out there but it looks phenomenal you guys did a great job thanks and i actually made a tutorial on it so i can send you that blog post from my blog about how to make your own if you want to yeah that would be great i'd love to see that um that is so cool did you use 0.5 or 0.6 what'd you use for that uh, we decided to go for 1.0 um, yeah. just to make it really bomber. And so then we can use it for winter and we can use it for many years. So Awesome. And then yeah. you use the standard like volet strap, a trekking pole in the middle to hoist that thing up? Yeah, originally. But then I actually came up with another design that I'm very proud of that you can't really describe without like a picture of it. But it's kind of <laughs> one inch webbing. One inch webbing and two. There's a loop at the top and a loop at the bottom where you can stick the the pointy part of a trekking pole into the loop then i don't know how to describe it i'll have to <laughs> maybe send you a picture i i have no idea how yeah to but then he most more recently since we decided to do um design a removable hip belt for the fast pack using a one inch webbing he's actually been able to figure out how to use that as the pole tie in the same way with the loops for the poles for the tent so yeah, we so have one less thing to carry with us now. fast pack <laughs> Hip and belt. we'll have an extra because it'll be a hip belt on his pack too. So <laughs> we'll have a backup. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love the double use. Oh, that's fantastic. I wish we could dive into this even more. Um, <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. You guys have crushed the adventure sponsorship show so far. Your pictures are amazing. These packs are phenomenal. Um, I'm really impressed. I mean, everybody, everybody's done a great job in, in their own way. Um, but I am very impressed to see what you all have done. Also, I have never thought about using yoga pants as a pocket. So I'm going to have to go ask my wife about some old pairs that I'm <laughs> getting rid of now. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend. Adds great personalization. Yeah, player. absolutely. That's cool. So what's next for you all? I mean, I know you have uh, let's see, you've done four of the great walks. So you have about six more great walks. What else, you know, I feel like a lot of MYOGers or DIYers always have kind of something up their sleeve or many things that they're like, oh, I'd really like to make this next. Or, you know, I like this thing, but I need to remake it. What are you going to make next? Or what do you have next on the, on the sewing table? Yes. Yeah, so we actually very currently, um, we have just finished Cameron's Back, latest backpacks we've revised done a bunch of edits and so we have now made a backpacking backpack his own design and it's a probably approximately 35 liter as well but using um dcf so the 2.92 with hybrid um and so we've used we just finished that one and then we just started yesterday last night we just finished the shoulder straps on mine so very very excited for making 
bigger backpacks. DCF he gets one backpacks. DCF backpacks that we redesigned a little bit or quite a bit. Oh, actually a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and so that is what's next on like the projects. And then we've got, well, we've already got V3 for our fast packs in mind and we've got the material cut out for that, but that's probably down the road a little ways. And then we're kind of, we've been working on and off to trying to do some, I call it mitt mirroring, um, trying to engineer rain mitt design. So we've been doing some mitt mirroring for that, but not have a ton of success for that yet. Um, we've got some other things like, I don't remember, we're going to use, we're going to do some like polar tech alpha mittens that we can then put underneath the rain mitts, the DCF rain mitts. But um, so we've got a lot of things like that that we're excited about for our next adventure. Yeah, we're going to. Which is, we're, we want to hike the TA. Our plan is to hike the TA, the Te Araroa in here in New Zealand. So it starts at the north point of the North Island at Cape Ranga, and it goes all the way through the North Island across and then all the way through the South Island, all the way down to Bluff. So that is our plan. Um, it's been postponed and changed a little bit just because we were in lockdown for the last couple of weeks, but we're still trying to get back on track to be starting that next month. Wow. I am... That is so exciting. There's so many things. I'm excited to see your packs and your fast packs to see, to hear about your adventures. I, I follow you all personally, just because I was so intrigued by what you were doing from, from the adventure sponsorship. So I'm excited to see more of what you all do. Um, but that sounds amazing. Um, thank you for sharing all these stories, all your experiences. You're making everything with us today. And thanks for sharing a little bit of time with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for hosting this. And it's been really great to kind of talk about it with people who you know, are just excited, as excited about it as we are. Cause we can tell anybody about like, oh yeah, I did this very specific thing. And they're like, okay, yeah, cool. But you know, like talking <laughs> to, to have people. the same understanding, yeah, <laughs> same always, level of stoke. It's always really fun. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm totally there with you. It's uh, everyone, uh, you know, I'm sure my friends, they're always excited to see a new pack or something, but only the people that I work with here, like Carter and Isaac and other people that are makers, can they really actually get like truly excited about a different sized cord lock or, you know, a different, <laughs> yeah. a different stretch mesh pocket. Most people just yeah. kind of, you know, look at you a bit funny. <laughs> that is so exciting. So what would you say, kind of one of our last questions here, what would you say to somebody that's looking to get into MIRG that's feeling a little bit of pressure, a little bit of worry about wasting money on materials or thinking, you know, I, I can't make something better than ultimate directions does, you know, or whoever they're, whatever they're looking at purchasing, but they want to make their own. What would you say to that person? In my opinion, just making it and going through that process is immensely rewarding, rewarding, you know, just the whole process of seeing it through deciding on what to choose, how to make it like the whole process, even if it doesn't come out as good, is still so rewarding to me that in the end, even if it like, you'll see it from afar and you're like, that looks really good. You, the person who made it, made it can look and be like, oh, well, there's stitch. I had to tear this stitch out here and I had to do this here. I had to do this here. But in the end, like it's this amazing thing that you yourself have made with your hands and you get to use it like backpacking, you get to use it, protect yourself from the, like the weather or whatnot. So it's just so incredibly rewarding for me to be able to, make those things and just say that you made it yourself. Yeah. I mean, that that's also coming from two people who love to make things. So it could just be a little bit more daunting if you aren't, that you're not super passionate about that. Um, but so I, I guess, I don't know. I would just recommend just 
give it a try. Um, you never know what you'll come up with in, in this. And like he said, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. Maybe you'll come up with something entirely different. Like, oh, well, actually I was in, I was trying to make a backpack, but I ended up making like a fanny pack that was really useful for this other reason. And I don't know, you could just kind of, I don't know, make it your own. I mean, like literally, but like make the journey your own as well. Yeah. And any, anything that looks really big and difficult is just a series of smaller and easier steps, but you just one, one thing at a time. One thing at a time. I love that. I, I love the focus on the journey because it, you know, I don't think I've ever made anything better than other packs out there, but it definitely means a lot more having done that journey. <laughs> Whether yeah. it's better or not is almost irrelevant. Yeah, I agree. So much yeah, satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, again, thank you for sharing your time. There's a massive time difference, as all the listeners can imagine. It's at six o'clock Eastern Standard Time where I am in Durham, but it's almost 10 a.m. or just after 10 a.m. in New Zealand. So thanks for organizing with us and um, sharing these stories. And we'll be really excited to see where you guys go next. Yeah, Yeah, thank you very much. much.